Well, good morning, everyone. So great to be with you this morning as we're continuing this series called All In. If you have a Bible, let's go to Acts chapter 2. Uh, it's this New Testament book that gives us a glimpse into what the early church looked like at the, at the very start of this movement that started with a small group of confused and scared people in a hostile environment to such beliefs that they started proclaiming. What is it that they were invested in? What is it that they committed to? That's what we're looking at as, as we think, okay, God, what, what do you want us to become here in 2020 in our time? What are the things we should be known for? What are the things that we should be devoted to? And so I'm going to read this, this central passage that gives us a summary of what their life was like, and then we're going to camp out on a particular topic this morning. So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, describes this in the early Christian life. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. In the first week, we talked about the position we bring as individuals to the, the collective church. And, and, and you know, this, this concept of devotion was where we camped out. And last week, we talked about the importance of being students of Scripture. Why is it that we need to teach the Word of God and learn it and know it? Because we want to know Him through it. And today, we're going to look at the topic of fellowship. And if you've been kind of tracking with us, you're noticing we're kind of jumping around on different words and different phrases out of this passage I've just read. Don't worry, we're going to hit all of these things as we go throughout these weeks together. But today we're going to look at this word from verse 42, fellowship. Fellowship. Now, if you indulge me just for a moment, we're going to do a little bit of technical work just to get all on the same page. What is it exactly that we mean by this word? It's, for me, I don't know if I've ever used this word uh, outside of right now. And so, you know, what exactly is it that we mean? Well, in the original Greek, here's, here's what's being conveyed. The, the word is koinonia. And to get some help from one of the, the biblical scholars who did some work in this, he says, the koinon words in Greek normally mean to share with someone in something above and beyond the relationship itself, or to give someone a share in something. Then he concludes, based on this verse that we're camping out on this morning, it may be best, therefore, to give koinonia its widest interpretation in 242, including within its scope, contributions. So giving, receiving, table fellowship, sharing life in that way. And the general friendship and unity which characterized the community. This is what we're talking about this morning. In other words, what does it mean for us as Central Heights to share life together? We say here that we value authentic relationships. We say that we want our culture to be mobilized, in fact, in community. And, and if you do a little digging into the language we've chosen for, for our small groups, our community groups, it's that life together is better than life alone. 
So why would that be? As, as I prepared for this message this week, I ran into somebody who's, who's not a part of our community, but they would say they're a Christian. And so that without knowing what I was going to talk about this Sunday, they, they started talking about their church experience. And, and as somebody who would label himself a Christian was describing, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm busy. Like I have a very busy life. And I think most of us, we, we might feel that too. He says, my life is full, and I, and I just don't feel like, you know, I'm not really connected right now. I've, I've wrestled with the concept of going to a church or being involved in, in, in Christian community. I haven't done it really for the last year or two, uh, so I, but I don't feel like I'm lacking anything. And then as, I, as we talked further, he expressed to me this, this, this feeling that, you know, even when, I, when he has gone and has been a part of Christian community, it hasn't always been primarily positive. The relationships, the people of the church have sometimes actually done things that would be negative or hurtful. And, and so there's a bit of this, this sense that he needs to override some past harm in order to be part of, of something in the future in this way. So why for us? And, and, and maybe, that's, maybe you resonate with some of that. I think that that's real life. That's real experience. That's, 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 what, it, that's what it feels like sometimes. So for us, if we're going to talk about sharing life together, if we're going to talk about committing to fellowship, at least in the way that we'd see here from Acts in the early church, why would we want to do that? So I want to give us three categories to think about, three reasons, if you will, to get us started to think about why is it that we would want to do this. The first category is this, that we should be committed to fellowship because it's the right thing to do the right thing to do. So before we talk about any of the benefits of relationship or the, the, the things that would make it worthwhile for us personally or individually, we need to understand that this is the appropriate, normal, logical thing to do if we say we've put our trust in Jesus. All of us have seen, you know, the experience of this week with the weather. You know, it's outside of our control. We get all this snow. We get all this cold. We get all this ice. And so, you know, cancellations happen to our appointments. We've got deadlines that we have to postpone. We have just different adjustments we need to make to our schedule. And it just kind of throws us all into this shared experience of, wow, something outside of us has created something that all of us now are going through and living with and describing and, and talking about. And it reminded me of a time when I was finishing up high school in Alberta. Uh, you know, and, and it's scary when Abbotsford reminds me of Alberta, right? So, so this was where I found myself this week. And I, and I remembered this time in grade 12. So it was, we were nearing what was called our diploma exam, something worth 50% of our grade. I don't know if they still do it this way. I thought that was a little extreme. Like everything is riding on me really doing my best over two hours for 50% of my grade. So we're heading towards this day. The day arrives. And I have never, this is one of the times in my life I, I think of when I think of winter storms, I have never seen anything like it. It's below minus 30, so already that's a bad place to find ourselves in. But in, in addition to that, the amount of snow that fell was just insane. And we were going, how is this going to play? We've got school, we've got other things to do. This exam is today. What is going to happen? And it wasn't a matter of, okay, well, let's just make sure we drive carefully on the roads. No, there were no roads. <laughs> like, it was that kind of snow, right? And so we're, we're watching what's going to happen. This, this seems strange. And we find out school's been canceled. I'm like, we have prayed our way. Let's praise God for this. This is, this is, this is incredible news. And, and what was strange and, and unique about this was that in the province, how diploma exams worked then, and maybe it's still this way now, is that every grade 12 student for that particular subject wrote the same test at the exact same time on the exact same day. The difference was, though, at that particular day, 
not everywhere in Alberta had the same weather my town had. And so everybody else has to write this exam. And we're going, this is, this is incredible. And so how is this going to work? The government actually had to give a special exemption from this. It was, I, I don't know if this had ever really been done a lot before. It was just this crazy moment. But look, any, any possible starting point we had, however much we had studied, however we were feeling about that exam, whatever consequences it may have had for our grade, all of us outside of our own work, own effort, own personality, own feelings, experienced something that was the weather, and it put us all in the same equal position in our town, a position of freedom, (laughs) right? And this reminds me of the church. Let me me get us to think about this in a different way. If I were to go, which I did this morning, to my office to find a random collection of objects. So caffeine is obviously important in the office. Staplers are important to somebody, not so much to me. Uh, Books, obviously. And then we've got what I call our office chicken, uh, who shows up at various times during the week. And, you know, this is all kind of part of the experience in there. But if I were to take all of these random objects, as hard as they are even to hold all at once right now, and if I were to go, okay, I need to make all these, I need to bind all of these into one single cohesive unit for a unified purpose... (laughs) That would be pretty hard, right? We've got, we've got different, you know, textures. We've got different sizes, different shapes. There's different angles involved with all of this. And I think when I see a collection of stuff like this in, in terms of objects, it reminds me of, of, of humanity, of people. How are we, how is God going to bring about a, a single cohesive group unified in such a purpose to, to begin to build this worldwide movement? Because when I look at people, when I look at us, when I look at myself, I see all different shapes, sizes, personalities, values, priorities, you know, family backgrounds, work situations, financial situations. And there are some people who just downright are different from me. So how is it that all of this could come together? How is it? And I think what we need to understand when we think about the fact that committing to fellowship is the right thing to do, we need to realize it's the right thing based on who God is and what God has done. It's the work of Jesus that builds a people, it builds a church. Because look, when we all come and we see, okay, there is a God who came to give us his best. So we did, because we didn't have a best to really give. We were separated. We were dead in our sin, it says. We were disconnected. We didn't have a hope. We didn't have a future. We didn't receive mercy or grace or truth. We did not have a trajectory that was bringing us to God forever the way he had always intended with his setup for creation. When we see that and we go, Jesus has paid it all, Jesus has done everything, and we all individually with all of our differences come before the cross and give our lives to him, believing in his finished work for us, saying you did everything when I could do nothing, we put our trust in him as our Lord and our Savior, as our rescuer and our ruler. Something happens to a collection of people as different as they are, that means they start to become a people that have more in common than they have different. And it's not that we all become the exact same person, but we do become a people. We do become a kingdom. And this is what Jesus is about building. 
He is the great equalizer, the great unifier. The one who this thing is all built around. Just a couple places we could look to from God's word that would reinforce this idea for us. Here's one from Galatians 3 that I'll just read. So just listen to these words from the Apostle Paul as God speaks through him. He says, now that faith has come, you're no longer under a guardian. You're no longer under this old law and trying to do your best to, to come before God. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek because our good news of our God, what he does, it breaks down racial divides. There's neither slave nor free. It breaks down societal structures and applies to all. There's no male and female. It's, it's, It's available to anyone. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. Another place we could look to in Ephesians chapter 4 where where Paul writes these words. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to do what? To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. What characterizes this? Ephesians 4, 2, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so it's his work, his life, his dying for our sins, his rising from the dead, his sending the Holy Spirit into us as we believe and put our trust in him. It makes us one. He becomes the equalizer, the unifier, so that we do have a starting point of commonality. And so it is necessary and appropriate and right to commit to this because he is the one that unifies us. You know, they say, they say that, you know, any team or any group is only as strong as its weakest link. And, and I think there's, there's some, some helpfulness to that for certain groups. But when I think of the church, I think of it, it's not really bound around our weakest link. It's bound around our strongest link. And that's Jesus. Which is very good news because if all of this was built around any one of us, if it was built around me, you'd end up disappointed. You'd, you'd, be, you'd, you'd find something, some reason, some habit, something that would make you go, this, why would I want to commit to fellowship if, if, if he's the one it's built around? And the good news is it's not. You can, you're going to be disappointed in me, but you're not going to be disappointed in Jesus. And that's why it's so good. It's built around him. I know for me, sometimes the barriers to me is like, you know, I think back to my college days and there was, there was a certain person We'll just call him Rodney for the purpose of our message today. And uh, Rodney, he, you know, he was in my, my social sphere, and I just found, you know, he, he, he talked differently. He laughed at different things. He, he told jokes that I would not find funny. You know, his, his approach to life and his approach to entertainment, his approach to a lot of different things was just so different from what my preferences were. And, and so basically, I, I guess sort of like, you know, maybe like the office chicken, I just kind of went, you know, I don't really want to commit to a lot where Rodney is there, you know, 
And during that time, though, I, I, I realized some of the stuff we're already talking about, I realized, and it, was, it came so powerfully to me, was that, Jesse, look, Rodney, you need to see through the lens of the cross. You need to see through the lens of my work. You need to realize that because I died for Rodney, I have placed an unsurpassable worth on his life. And if I'm committing to Jesus and I'm following Jesus, I want to follow him and think the way he thinks. I need to start thinking about Rodney the way God thinks about Rodney and the God, way God thinks about each one of you. He said, if you're here, you need to know that because of that, God has placed unsurpassable worth on your life and on the lives of the people you don't really want to spend time with. And that's okay because you can commit to fellowship because it's built around him and it's the right thing to do. And this puts me in a position to say for myself, if faith in Jesus has become personal for me, it should not also become private to me. It's the thing I want to commit to because it's built around him. He's not just offering a product for a collection of individual consumers. He is building a kingdom of people, a family, a church. And so not only, though, is it the right thing to do, it's actually the smart thing to do. One scholar commenting on this passage from Acts puts it this way, where people ignore the common life of the Christian family, they become isolated and often find it difficult to sustain a living faith. I think, I think that makes sense. I think, in, especially looking at my time as a youth pastor here, and I see people leave high school, they leave, you know, the, the, maybe the bubble they were in with their youth group or their family, and they start going off. It becomes easier to start being disconnected from the fellowship. It starts becoming easier to, to stop sharing life with God's people. And what happens is it become, you become way more prone to, to wandering and disconnecting, not just from God's people, but from God himself. And I think, we, I think this, this makes sense. Because when I think of us as a people coming together because of the finished work of Jesus and his continuing work, through the Holy Spirit in our midst, what I realize is that I really need the church. I really need the fellowship. Jesus is our strength, but man, the numbers, they amplify that strength. What I realize then is if, if you take me out of this, you take me away from this, you disconnect me from this, I end up in a place of, of isolation. I end up in a place of disconnection. I become way more prone to a lot of different things, the distortion of truth, the societal pressures that swing me away from the things that God is leading me in. And all of this make, puts me in a position where it's a lot easier for me to bend. It's a lot easier for me to be flexible and, and, and go a, a strange direction. And although, you know, although I am still maybe similar to this, although it's the same properties and all that, the bending and the flexing because of my isolation puts me in a place where it's way easier to snap. And break and wander and experience hurt in a way that God would never intend. And what this reminds me, if I look at the church, if I look at what God wants to do, is that isolation creates vulnerability. 
But fellowship creates durability. Because you take the exact same thing that's maybe weak on its own, fragile, in danger, and you try to break it when it's together, it's far, far, far more difficult. And this is a picture, I think, of why it's so smart, not just right, but smart for us to invest our lives, to anchor our lives in a place where God's people are, where Jesus is the center, he's the foundation, but where our faith can be sustained. And more than sustained, also sharpened. It makes sense then that the writer of the Hebrews would put it this way from Hebrews chapter 10. He says, he says this, starting in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day of Jesus' return, a living Lord who's going to come back and fully set all things right, fully restore, fully redeem, fully bring justice to this earth. Don't neglect to meet together. Your isolation, it's going to create vulnerability. But fellowship is going to create a durability that's longer lasting to sustain your faith and sharpen your faith. So it's a right thing to commit to fellowship. It is a smart thing to commit to fellowship. But it's also a compelling thing to commit to fellowship. Compelling in the sense that it's, it's amazing to see the types of things that happen. And amazing in the sense that, wow, it seems like the truth of God's word seems amplified when I'm with God's people. Wow, the activity of God, the work of God seems verified as I'm spending time with God's people. And all of that is actually a very compelling, vivid, motivating, awesome witness to a world that wants to know, is there some sort of faith system that actually works? Is there some sort of place, is there some sort of people that can come together and actually see something amazing happen, something transcendent occur? And this is what can happen as we invest in fellowship. And I've seen it happen. Think, think even of some recent stuff that's happened at Central Heights. The fact that this church family gave above and beyond the donations needed for the certain goal we had for the Christmas hampers to distribute needs to our community. Think of how this church family, and as I've watched people bringing in items for our cold weather care program, watching youth leaders pray for their students and seeing the students healed of physical things. And not just people who are able to attend and meet together, but even people who, who can't, who are physically or, you know, dis disabled in a way where they can't make it, or, or maybe they've aged to a point where just this is not part of a rhythm of life that they can have anymore. I've seen that because did you know there's things like our care and compassion team that go and visit people in nursing homes, in places where they can't have community the way we're having it right now. I've seen this happen and I think in, in a time where, you know, technology has made us so connected and yet still feeling so alone, these kind of things are a very compelling and attractive feature of what God can do through his people. It's a compelling thing. Look even, look even in the scene from Acts, in Acts chapter 2 where we are. Can you imagine 
seeing this. Remember, this is a hostile environment to any claims that somebody would rise from the dead. A guy who was killed in that same city that these people now claim is the son of God who loves them, gave himself for them. And by the way, he didn't stay dead, rose from the dead to offer us new life and reconciliation and redemption. In that same place, we've read, here's what happens. Awe comes upon every soul. Many wonders, signs are being done through the apostles, through this original group of Jesus' followers. And look at this, all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That is a compelling picture of what the church becomes as they go all in, not just on teaching, but on fellowship as well. So if this is some of the why of of, of fellowship, that it's right, that it's smart, that it's compelling. How can we as a church in 2020 go a bit further than we currently are going as individuals and as a body of people to the next level to say we're more all in than we ever have been when it comes to sharing life together? So I want to give us three categories of suggestions. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of bounce around and, and talk about a lot of different things in here. But maybe even just looking at these categories, you could take this yourself and go, Lord, is there something in one of these categories that you are, you're, you're, you're noticing and, and in my life that I need to take to the next level? So the first category is simply to meet together, which we're doing right now. But, but sharing life is beyond just a single event. Sharing life is beyond just a single moment in our week. It's why we, we would love to have everybody here connected in what we call a community group of various sizes, threes and, and fours, uh, where there's you know, that small unit of people meeting together, or small groups of eight to 12, or, or mid-sized community groups. And if you're not yet connected in one of these, it's really easy today because our group's pastor, David, is going to be out in the foyer, and you can sign up in like 30 seconds or less into a group today. So maybe that's your step. Maybe another step, though, would just be to extend invitation to people to meet together. Extending invitation, and not just to, you know, coffee shops or restaurants or some sort of third space. Try doing it in your home. Now, we used to say in youth ministry that, that doing a retreat, a youth retreat over a weekend at a different location where we spent that amount of time together accomplished the same amount of relational value as like 10 to 15 individual youth nights. Why? Because we're spending that amount of time together in a different place where it's not so easy to hide who you are, escape and and go and retreat whenever you feel like it, and you're sharing things like meals together. Try extending invitations and see what happens. Or try accepting invitations when they come your way. And as I was, in, I was in here on Thursday, and I, and I was praying for our time together as, as this part of my, you know, my process of thinking, God, what do you want to say to us? And, and I had this sense that, that God really wanted to press for somebody here this morning at either our 9 a.m. or our 11 a.m. service that you're leaving messages unread. Maybe it's an invitation, maybe it's an offer for clarity or of miscommunication or some sort of relational thing that needs to happen to take fellowship further, but stop leaving things unread. Maybe that's what it would be for you today. How can we meet together? How can we share life together? Well, it happens one of the ways by actually spending time together. Maybe it's jumping on a team to serve with somebody, and that's how you might spend your time together. Because out in the foyer, too, we also have this opportunity today. Uniquely, we didn't necessarily plan all of this, but you could sign up to serve for our kids' camp 
which may sound weird because it's like, well, I'm not so great with kids necessarily, but actually you look at all the opportunities, you go, man, I could do this, and I could do this with people. I could extend an invite to jump in on that with a bunch of people and, and see what God would do through the fellowship of that. So maybe it's just meeting and attending, you know, programs, events, signing up for a group, signing up for a service team, and spending your time. But more than spending our time and spending our effort, a second category we might want to consider is not just to meet together, but to give together. Not just giving of our time, giving of our effort, but giving of our resources that God has given us to manage and to steward. Do you notice, uh, I thought this was so interesting when I was looking at Acts chapter 2. One of the very first things that characterizes their fellowship is generosity. In Acts chapter 2, we see it. They, you know, they're selling their possessions and, and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. You jump even a, a couple scenes further to Acts chapter 4. It says in, in verse 32 and following, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There's not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And it tells of a story of a guy named Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, who sells a field, and, and the proceeds of that he brings to the fellowship. See, and this, this for me becomes a little bit even more convicting because I've, I've noticed in myself, especially even before I came to Central Heights, I, I was challenged in this that, okay, well, I do, I do give of my money. I give financially to things I believe God wants to work in, organizations I trust, people who are going on missions trips, maybe the odd act of generosity to somebody on the street who I see is in need, but not necessarily the church. But what we see in Acts is all of that really good stuff that God does use and God does, you know, build his kingdom through and bring life change through. But it's not only that. It's also giving and being generous where their lives are anchored in the community where they are. So be it your time, be it your energy, be it your finances, depending on where, you, where you're at with it, you might be in, but are you all in? And what we see in the early church is that generosity isn't so much a matter of how much is in your wallet, but how much is in your heart. Because look, we do, we do the offering here on, on, on Sunday, not, ju not just because that's what's always been done. No, these things enable our ministries. They're an act of worship, we believe, to a God who has given to us generously. And as we give, God's, God's lordship and his activity are seen so clearly in our midst. And so you could actually give five dollars and be more generous based on what is in your heart than somebody who gives 500 on the same moment, and that's not their posture. To give together. What an opportunity that would be. And finally, this third one, and I, and I, and I want to pull this all together, is this last one, because of how privileged we are to have fellowship, to have community, to have the gift of sharing life together, is to thank God together. There, there are people that would long for anything close to what we have right now in this moment, in this space, in this room, or anywhere throughout our week where we rub shoulders with other Christians. I, I as a high school student, would have longed for a youth group to go to. 
There are people in, in countries around the world that would long, that would so desire to experience what this is that we are experiencing. And so maybe a takeaway for us to just to remind ourselves to thank God together of the gift and privilege we have, not taking for granted this fellowship, but reminding ourselves how awesome it is that God has set us up in this way. So as we think about our lives here in 2020, could we commit in a new way to sharing life together as a church? And as we do that on the, with Jesus at the center and the foundation, I think we're going to see God do some amazing things in our individual lives and in our lives as a church family. So let me pray that that would happen. Lord, thank you so much that you love us, that you gave yourself for us. And that we have an opportunity to respond not just to come to you with a personal faith for our personal benefit, but that we can be a benefit to one another. And as we are that, I pray that we would be a benefit for your glory to our city and to our world. And so whatever you are tugging at for us, don't let us pass this moment by but help us to act. Help us to send the messages we need to send, to answer the messages we need to answer, to commit to a new way of sharing life together with you, our great God, in our midst. From this day forward into this new year, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.